Welcome back to the Remedial Film Class Podcast. I'm your host, Dan. And I'm Travis. I'm George. And? Oh, am I supposed to say something? And that's Troy! I mean, if, if you, yeah, I mean, if you want to say your name. <laughs> He's you a veteran. He's a veteran. <laughs> this is Troy. Hey, Troy. <laughs> hey, Troy. Welcome back to the Remedial Film Class. Now, for our regular listeners, you'll know that Troy Howarth is a man amongst men, a scholar amongst scholars, an author of books, and a speaker of commentaries. An icon, if you will, of some sort. Uh, depends who you ask. He's a resource, <laughs> no less. A resource, yes. And if Troy's back in the house, uh, there's a good chance we're talking about something Italian and something gory. And that might just be the case. <laughs> That's a safe assumption. So we are in our spring outbreak, where we've nice. been... Taking George on a journey uh, from Night of the Living Dead up through The Walking Dead, which is the one thing he's ever watched in his life voluntarily. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think even Travis drugged me into that. I drug him kicking. So, yes. yeah. He didn't scream, but it, he was kicking. Yeah. Well, until the show started. And then there was plenty yes. of screaming. A little bit. One hopes. <laughs> so today, we are getting off the Romero track, and we're looking at a movie that if it wasn't spawned by the success of Dawn of the Dead, it certainly cashed in on it. We're talking about Zombie 2, Zombie Flesh Eaters, or just plain old zombie, directed by Lucio Fulci from 1979. Mm. Now, George, you, sir, you have not seen a ton of Italian movies, but you've seen a few, mostly because of me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, about, about a half a dozen at this point, yeah. Maybe a little more. How are you feeling coming right out of your first viewing of Zombie? Um, the the one word that I would describe this movie as is straightforward. Okay. There's no, like... Doesn't pull any punches. Yeah, it's straightforward. There's not, like, any big twists. There's not... It's just, um, you know, there's something going on. We don't know what it is. We're figuring it out. And you're along for the journey. People get eaten. <laughs> More people get eaten. We escape. And, oh, well. More eating. More people are going to get eaten. <laughs> and, and and it's hopeless. And that's it. Very and straightforward. No twists or turns or, you know, trying to, you know, like with Dawn of the Dead, there was that whole, like, after the world ended, basically, there was this how are we going to survive? And then they survive for a while and they go through like trials and tribulations. None of that. This was just very straightforward. Zombies are going to take over. Boom. Yeah, it's kind of like almost, uh, again, I don't want to compare it to The Walking Dead, but it's it's almost like uh, this movie is like Fear the Walking Dead where it's like days, the days of the outbreak, the yes. days of the start of it, mm -hmm. like people coming to life and being considered murderers and rapists and whatever. They don't know that they're undead. They don't know that they're you're dead until you're bitten. Right, kind of like in uh, Night of the Living Dead where there was just mass murders mass going murders, on and no right. one knew what was right. going on. And day the, or Dawn of the Dead was more like, okay, we're in this shit. It's been going on for a while. Kind of Not, how are we not gonna, a long time, Yeah, but how are we going to survive this? And how what are the survive, challenges right. of post-zombie apocalypse? Yes. So in a lot of ways, zombie slash zombie 2 is more like 
the March of 2020, whereas Dawn is the <laughs> yeah. November of 2020. November, yeah. Yeah, people are throwing pies and <laughs> going shopping. Or, a- or April of 21. I mean, who right. knows? Hey, I mean, sky's the limit on this one. We'll know by then this doesn't come out till May. That's true. So, <laughs> Troy, what's your relationship like with this movie? I know you're a, a Fulci expert of sorts, but uh, where does this movie fit in your understanding of the Fulci canon? I su- well, it wasn't the first one I saw. Um, it was certainly one of the first ones I saw back in the old VHS days in the 80s <laughs> um, when I was, frankly, much too young to see it, but I saw it anyway. And, um, you know, back in, at that time, of course, you were seeing things panned and scanned and in really grubby quality, and it, it was kind of difficult to get a feel for what a well-made movie it was. Um, but it certainly delivered the goods. Um, it, you know, <laughs> eye-opening, I guess, is a word you could apply to it. Um, <laughs> or eye-stabbing. Uh, yeah, <laughs> eye-opening, yep. Eye-gouging. Eye-gouging eye action, um, which is kind of a theme in Fulci. There's a lot of eye-gouging, uh, a lot of uh, ocular violence in his movies, for sure. That's sort of inspired inspired the title of my book, uh, Splintered Visions, um, which is all about Fulci and his films, obviously. I don't think it's his best film. Um, I think it's a very good film. Uh, it was very much a gun-for-hire movie. It wasn't something that he initiated or originated. He wasn't even originally supposed to direct it, but um, obviously very glad that he did because he made it into something pretty wonderful because it was really the first horror movie that he made, the first real horror film that he made, and uh, he really went for it with gusto, obviously didn't hold back. And I think that's one of the things about Fulci in general is he's the director who... When everybody else is going to cut away, he's going to go in for a close-up. And I think this is a very good example of that. Obviously, the most famous scene in the movie is a great example of that because, mm-hmm. you know, you don't expect it to necessarily go on and on the way that it does. Um, and it's, it's certain, I think it's something that holds up tremendously well, um, even into the 21st century. So uh, if not in the absolute... Uh, real top tier of his films it's it's pretty high up there for me it's a movie i'm very fond of now you mentioned panning and scanning and i knew what you meant and travis knew what you meant but george had no idea what that means do you want to go into a little bit of uh film history and and help george kind of visualize what you're talking about yes please yeah i think that's something um i take for granted because of course you know as a uh Child of the 80s, it was something we grew up with, and obviously, fortunately, nowadays it's kind of gone. What used to happen was, with films that were shot in widescreen, TV sets uh, back in those days were all formatted to a you know particular aspect ratio where widescreen movies like this, you know, 235 films, which are in the wide widescreen aspect ratio, were basically cut in half. Um, to sort of fit them onto the screen, they had to be kind of literally almost cut in half, and panning and scanning was basically a technique where they would sort of pan uh, on a telecine when they were doing a transfer. Um, You know, if somebody was talking at the left side of the frame, they would focus on that person. If somebody at the right side of the frame was talking, they would usually pan over, so hence pan and scan. Uh, It's something that was really, really distracting on widescreen films, and that's why it was difficult um, seeing Fulci's films that way. Uh, Sergio Leone's films, John Carpenter's films, seeing something like Halloween, for example, pan and scanned, it was really ruinous. It really destroyed the compositions and so forth. So uh, fortunately today with widescreen TVs and all that, we don't have to worry about that anymore. But that was kind of the standard back in the 80s into the 90s. 
Yeah, I'm glad I didn't have to deal with that. Yes. <laughs> well, it ruined the movies. You got you, you definitely got used to it. It did ruin movies. It ruined movies, and Scorsese um, basically said it was like the movies were being redirected, which in a sense was true because some lab technician was basically deciding what was important to show and what wasn't. Yeah. And uh, Fulci was very, very good with widescreen in particular, and but he also liked uh, really tight close-ups, and so... The first Fulci movie I ever saw was a movie he did called The Black Cat, and there's a lot of close-ups of people's eyes in that movie. And sometimes when it, you know, if they had a, a shot where they couldn't figure out what to do with it, uh, very often they, if they didn't do panning and scanning, they would just crop it, just out and out crop mm-hmm. it. And so The Black Cat, there were just a lot of shots of people's bridges of their noses in that film. That's all that was left, um, which obviously didn't make for the most engaging viewing experience. No. But it wow. did make for an excellent uh, storyline on Seinfeld where uh, <laughs> Jerry finds a bootlegger that he really likes because he sits in the mm-hmm. theater with a handicam and he, he feels like his job of like picking what part to scan and which part to pan mm-hmm. like improves the direction of some of these movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he becomes an artist about it. <laughs> I love this guy. <laughs> <laughs> Now, you mentioned that this wasn't originally a Fulci flick. Now, from what I understand, it was originally going to be Enzo Castellari. Is that correct? Yeah, Enzo Castellari, who, um, for those who don't know, is more of an action film director. He's one of Tarantino's favorites. And in fact, um, Castellari in 1978 made a film called Inglorious Bastards, um, spelled differently, Mm. but um, has very little to do with the movie that Tarantino made. But Tarantino is a huge fan of his and has, um, you know, really praised his movies to the skies. Uh, Castellari had never directed a horror film, um, and he was not particularly comfortable with the idea of doing this film. It was it was written, uh, commissioned, uh, based off the success of Dawn of the Dead in Italy. Uh, it came out in Italy before it came out in America. As a matter of fact, came out under the title of Zombie. Um, and so this movie was commissioned and, and kind of rushed into production, and Castellari didn't really particularly want to do it, but he said, you know what, I think Lucio Fulci would be good for this. And Fulci was kind of in a... A little bit of a career slump at that time. He'd made a, a, a film called The Psychic or Seven Notes in Black, which was a giallo, um, which was kind of an expensive film and it didn't do well at the box office. So uh, his career wasn't in the greatest of shape at that time. So uh, he suggested Fulci. Fulci was available and the success of this film made him into, you know, uh, the really the main competitor to Dario Argento in Italy as far as horror and suspense movies were concerned. Now, when I was first discovering the Fulci catalog it started with zombie and i've told this story on the show before i was at best buy i see this badass cover i've already seen dawn of the dead and night of the living dead so it's like a it's a gimme that i'm gonna pick up this movie and it's probably gonna be great and i'd never seen the dubbing before so that was a kind of a jarring thing but when mm. we got to what my buddy and i call the scene the scene the scene <laughs> right uh, the splintered <laughs> vision scene uh i mean his jaw drops my jaw drops we're in high school, we've seen some stuff, but we've never seen anything like that before. And mm-hmm. so my impression of Fulci is this, you know, gorehound. And my original, you know, desperate search for DVDs and, and bootlegs because it there wasn't a lot of stuff out there on quality DVD at the time. All I found was the later Fulci, the, the gory stuff. And so I thought I had that guy totally pegged down. I thought, okay, Fulci equals gore, great. But it wasn't until this Blu-ray cycle when his older movies come out, his Giallo, that I come mm-hmm. to realize that he's actually maybe as good as Dario Argento at the Giallo. Mm-hmm. But it just took mm-hmm. me until 
I could get outside the thought of Gorehound guy and look at his films on on the whole. Heck of a director, guys. Yeah, he started in, um, I mean, he really, his career goes all the way back to the 50s. And he started off as a screenwriter and assistant director, and, and that's what he did for a number of years. He made his film directing debut in 59 uh, with comedy, and actually his early films were all comedies. He made a few musicals. Um, Fulci actually was also a, a, a lyricist. Um, he wrote lyrics to a couple of very popular, um, you know, sort of top 10 chart-hitting uh, uh, songs in Italy uh, in the 1960s. So, I mean, he was a man of many talents. Um it, it wasn't until like the mid-60s that he started making films that started to display kind of a fascination with violence and sadism. And gradually from there, the movies started to get darker and darker. And, and I'm sure there are a variety of reasons for that. But it wasn't until Zombie in 79, 80, uh, when, it, when it really took off and became a big hit that, you know, again, he kind of became known as the uh, the Italian gore director i guess you know some people call him the godfather of gore which is a misnomer because that's really herschel gordon lewis um but he he definitely was known as as kind of the splatter king whereas dario geno at that time yeah his movies were violent and yeah they sometimes had you know really gory highlights to them but his movies were a little bit i dare i say classier a little bit more upmarket Artsy. whereas fulci's were yeah. yeah a little bit whereas fulci's were more kind of down and gritty and kind of you know, I mean, he didn't try to pretty it up. In other words, if, if he was making a horror film, that's what he made. Um, you know, he went for broke and didn't hold back. He could do more subtle things. He could go for atmosphere. Um, but that was the thing that people really embraced. You know, the fans really embraced was just his willingness to go for broke with the gore sequences. So Fulci was kind of like a uh, like a Toby Hooper kind of, you know, just... Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit of that kind of hysteria uh, approach that Hooper had, um, but you know, uh, he had a he had a really good run for several years. He churned out a lot of films in fairly rapid succession, um, really really high quality. But unfortunately, his health started to decline, and later films, you know, between his failing health and the lower budgets and so forth, they don't always show him at his best. But um, the the average. You know, kind of Gorehound really reveres him for that period of like 1979 to 1982 or so, where he was really cranking out one after the other of these movies. Um, but again, I think if you want to get a better sense of what a really good craftsman he was and what a really fine filmmaker he could be, I think, you know, you also need to look at the earlier films because there's some really great stuff there. Hmm. I have a question. I, uh, the, I figured this would be a good place to ask. When I was watching the beginning of the movie, it felt to me that a lot of those shots were probably done illegally <laughs> did, they, did they did they get the uh the film rights or or the the, the permits or whatever to film in the harbor hell no okay. <laughs> yeah. i'm watching it i'm like man this is like there was there were a lot of problems with that because um ian mcculloch the uh the scottish actor who plays the the lead in the film the the journalist um right was not aware when he went over to do the film that they didn't have permits. And when he showed up um, in America, in, in New York, they you know asked him what he was there for. And he said he was there to make a movie for Variety Film. And they looked and they said, there's no record of anything being made mm. over here. And then he realized and he said, oh, oh no, I mean, I'm, I'm stopping here before I go out to Los Angeles. They're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> so Ugh. 
uh, a little bit of trouble there. But it, it, he also told a great story about when they were filming in the newspaper, um, in the newspaper office. It was a real, uh, a, a, apparently, a, a newspaper that was owned by Rupert Murdoch. Uh, mm. I'm sure you're aware of who he is. Yes. And um, at one point, they were filming a scene, and uh, all of a sudden, Rupert Murdoch showed up and pretty much said, you know, who the fuck are all you people? Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> that was, Sounds that was about it. right. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was just, there was no, no permits were secured, apparently. Everything was kind of shooting very quickly and getting in and out, um, you know, until they were able to move out of the American leg of their journey, obviously, when they went to the... Uh, the island location that was no longer a concern. It was the same production company. They also rushed another movie into production afterwards called uh, Zombie Holocaust, uh, not directed by Fulci, but it also starred Ian McCulloch. And um, hmm. that was made even, uh, you know, even quicker. And, and it's not nearly as good a film, but it was released over here with the immortal title of Dr. Butcher, MD, Medical Deviant. Nice. And it does sound like something maybe... Dan's gonna make us watch. <laughs> <laughs> I actually I I considered making you watch that as part of this cycle, but I'm gonna spare you. It does contain maybe the third coolest kill in a zombie movie though, where Ian McCulloch picks up a running like motorboat motor mm. and goes straight into the skull of a zombie. Nice. It's amazing. Mm. Like other than mm. that, you don't have to watch the movie, but I'll send you that okay. scene because it's pretty pretty fantastic. Well, a little bit of trivia there just to connect in with Enzo Castellari, who was offered Zombie and turned it down. His father directed that film. Um, so there you go. I think that was one of the last films that he directed. So hmm. uh, he had been around for uh, quite a long time making movies. Obviously, he was quite the veteran by that point. But I don't think that's the movie he wanted to be remembered for. That seems to be kind of the thing in Italian genre cinema is you just you can't judge a person based on their last film. Well, it's probably true in general. Very few, very few directors, um, you know, are fortunate enough to be able to go out on a high note. <laughs> there's there are exceptions. Um, obviously, there are some directors who continue to great, do great movies into their old age, but quite a few of them seem to hit a bad patch later on and. Yeah, I mean, I, then again, how many people make a make a movie thinking it's going to be their last movie? Very few, I guess. Uh, John mm -hmm. Cassavetes was one of the very few ones who kind of knew that was going to be it. Um, but most people think there's going to be another one. So, yeah, probably probably not the best way for anybody. And I'll put the late Mario Bava stuff up against a lot of his early stuff. You know, uh, I like yeah, his, well, you know, even Shock, which is, you know, it's not... Mm -hmm. It's definitely a post-Deep Red movie, right? Like, it's kind of just Deep Red again. But it's executed. It's got good creepy bits. It's got a really good scare. Like, I'd watch it any time. Yeah, no, he never he never really had that decline. I, part of the thing with him, I think, that made him special, though, was he was kind of his own filmmaking crew. I mean, he did so much of it by himself. Um, you know, he did his own lighting. He could do his own camera work. He could do editing and, and, and special effects and so forth. So... Um, he wasn't as dependent on the uh, input of other people as some directors are, where obviously you're very reliant on the abilities of your crew. And uh, certainly with Fulci, when you get to some of those later films, he just didn't have the great collaborators anymore, and the results definitely suffered. You definitely want the Halloween 1 Donald Pleasance, not the Halloween 6 well, yes, yes. I mean, <laughs> bless him. He was still he was still trying, but you know, uh, fatigue was setting in. <laughs> he was not well yeah. when it showed. Um, so, yeah, these things happen. It's just the nature of it's the nature of being a human being, I guess. Yep, getting old. I do really want George 
to watch Devil's Honey at some point. Oh, I like that one. Mostly so I can talk about the Devil's Honey for an hour because I think there's a lot going on there that hasn't been tapped by well the... saxophone stuff. Yeah, in particular, yeah. some saxophone stuff. I mean, yeah. you start Anything off strong like with trombones? the sax, but... <laughs> oh, you, you have no idea, Travis. No idea. <laughs> it's much better than the trombone kill. In better than the trombone kill. Okay. Better than the trombone kill. Nice. But I, it's. I think it's got a subtext in it that needs to be mined. So at some point, I'm going to make you watch a really trashy movie, and we're going to talk about it. It's going to be fun. Okay. I love how like the, all these kills, like we can just say, you know, the trombone kill, and like all of us know exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. Some of the listeners like, are like, what the hell are they yeah, talking about? Some too? of the and they go back and they listen, yeah. and then we get more. Right. <laughs> no, but <laughs> like, those. but there's like there's just certain kills and like mm-hmm. in certain movies that just like stick with you and. Yeah. yeah, it's just like there it is, like the 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 backwards luge, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> reverse luge, reverse luge. <laughs> oh man! So before we go any further, for our listeners' sake, this movie is available to stream all over the internet. Uh, I highly recommend just buying it blind. Just buy the 4K, you'll love it. Uh, and if you don't, try again because you're gonna love it by the second viewing. Uh, George Travis, can you back me up on that? Having just watched it for the first time, yeah, and I, I would also I want to watch it again with the commentary because I think I heard somebody does a commentary for this movie, so I want to. Well, it's no good. Check that out. That's no, no good. Okay, <laughs> yeah, I won't terrible. check it out then. <laughs> it starts off pretty strong. I like the opening. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, just lack the staying power. Now that we've set the stage, I want to get into the plot of the movie, and I know a lot of our listeners aren't as hip on their Italian zombie movies as they should be. So if you want to pause it here, uh, feel free. Go watch the movie on Prime. Come on back. If you want to spoil it, it's a zombie movie. Uh, we're not talking about Deep Red here. You, you'll you still love the movie, even if we tell you every intricate detail, because this movie has to be experienced, not just talked about. But It's definitely an experience. We are going to get spoilery here. So uh, if you don't want spoilers for a straightforward zombie movie, by golly, come back around after you watch it. I don't. It, I don't feel like there's any spoiler to be had. No, like it's just. No, it's a zombie movie. Even oh, when man. someone is killed, it takes a while for them to get killed. So you know it's happening. You know it's going to happen. Yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know exactly what's about to happen when you're well, watching this movie. And that's one Good thing stuff. about the movie as a Castellari production, right? As a movie designed for Enzo Castellari's style, where he is much more an action adventure kind of guy. This is Die Hard. This isn't. Night of the Living Dead mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And so by adding Fulci in, you add the gore factor, the the unflinching eye of the Fulci camera. And I think you probably add some like soft touch for the story elements that you wouldn't get in a Castellari flick. But story-wise, you're right. Uh, not a lot to spoil. Zombies happen. Stuff gets real. And then the gore is like super excessive. There could have been a lot to spoil. I, I I was hoping they would dig more into the backstory because I was like, oh, you know, maybe with backstory. But I just, I, it was straightforward and it was everything I expected and more. But there's a lot of cool stuff that I would really wish. Obviously, the time period wouldn't allow it. But today, they would have really dug into what was happening on that island. Was, you know, is it voodoo? Is it experimental? Is it... You know, what is it? Is it a virus? Is it all these things? The mystery is there. Mm-hmm. And it's stuff that would have been really cool to dig into, especially that doctor was interesting. Her father, I would have liked to learn more about her father. Like, there were a lot of things in there that would have added. 
Well, it kind of goes back to Night of the Living Dead in the sense that they, you know, there was the same thing. They they weren't interested in the how or the why. It's mm -hmm. just that it's happening. Um, mm -hmm. Richard Johnson, who plays the um, Dr. Maynard, uh, who's the kind of, you know, shady, mysterious doctor who's uh, who's at work on the island. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he's wonderful in the film, first and foremost, I think. This is not a movie that's known for great acting, but he gives a great performance in it because he really... First of all, he rewrote his own dialogue, um, and so he, he came up with a lot of wonderful stuff, and he kind of gave it a little bit of uh, real character, a little bit of real yes. edge, um, and he ad-libbed a lot of wonderful stuff about everything that was going on in the island and so forth, and, and, and kind of tried to provide a little bit of shading and backstory you know, little hints at, at things that are there. And you can't really quite tell, is this guy on the level? Is there something a bit shady about him? Is he a good guy or not? Um, it's all very ambiguous, which I think is one of the film's great strengths. Um, you know, this was a, a a member of the Royal Shakespeare Company, uh, a very, very distinguished actor. had been in some huge movies. Uh, he'd done a lot of, uh, you know, great projects down through the years. And then in the 70s, he found himself doing a lot of Italian genre films, and he was not at all snooty about it. Um, I actually got to interview him not long before he died. Um, he passed away in 2015, and uh, he just he had no attitude whatsoever about these movies. He was very delighted and amused by the fact they were so popular. Mm. Um, he didn't expect them to be. <laughs> they were just a job. <laughs> they were a paycheck. But uh, he really enjoyed working with Fulci and, and told some great stories about Fulci's legendary temper, you know, at one point, um, Fulci was getting really exasperated with the one actress in the film who really wasn't an actress, um, the, the the one who is um, not the lead act, <laughs> the brunette girl. The girlfriend, might... yeah. Yeah. The, the girlfriend she, of the um, bearded guy. Yes, yes. She was not an actress. She had been hired, as he put it, for other things. And mm. uh, <laughs> as, as you could see in the film, this is why she was hired. And, yes. uh Fulci did not do well with people who didn't know their jobs. He loved Richard Johnson because Johnson knew his, knew what he was doing and never caused any problems. Um, this girl would flub takes and so forth. And apparently at one point he dropped down on the ground and started like literally tearing into the grass with his teeth. Oh. And Johnson's just standing there watching him. And he's, he looked up at him and said, if I don't eat the grass, I'm going to eat her. You know? <laughs> oh, my eat Dan? Oh my That's God. the way I feel when I see it. <laughs> <laughs> so me and him have something in common. <laughs> That's funny. So maybe so, that zombie did bite her for real then. <laughs> uh, I, he was not he was not happy with her. <laughs> and, uh, but, but you she know, looked in a bathing suit, so <laughs> Well, that's yeah. why she was hired and right. you know, that's that's the nature of it, but um Johnson of, of anybody in the cast, he really gives a really really strong performance. I was really super impressed with what he did in that because it would have been the easiest thing in the world for an actor like that to just come in and say, "Ah, oh, this is just a piece of shit. I, I don't care. I'm going to walk through it." And he doesn't. Um, he really commits himself to it and gives a little bit of shading um, to a character in a movie that's mm. really not noted for its its character. Its atmosphere, its shock value, it's a certain amount of suspense, um, and certainly just, again, the the willingness to go for broke and, you know, all the wonderful kind of decay and uh, just the sickly quality, you know, to, to mm. the atmosphere and so forth, but not much in the way of characterization. I could see him sticking out. Like I, that was one of the things I put in my notes was how how he was he was doing the work. Like mm -hmm. an actor would say, doing the work or doing the homework, or whatever. You could tell he was adding a lot to whatever was written on the page. And as you said, he was because he was writing it. So Believe it good. or not, I felt the same way. 
Did you? Yeah, I'm not even kidding. I was like, yeah, well, that doctor, he's like, I don't, I don't know what's going on there. Mm. Like, he was keeping me on, you know. I kept comparing him to, I, I don't want to keep bringing up Walking Dead, but this helps George kind of understand. There's a character, Jenner, Dr. Jenner, who runs the CDC. Yeah. And they meet with him at some point in the very beginning. And he has that same kind of mystery to him. Yeah. Where the more you dig, the more you're around him, the more you let him talk, the more you realize. You're like, is this a good guy or yeah, a bad? Like, complex. what is this guy's yeah. deal? Like, So that's what I was hoping with this character. I was getting a little bit of that. But then I kept telling myself, it's 1979. They're not going to do that. They just want to show you zombies. Yeah. But I, I know if they made that movie today, somebody would really give him a lot of meat to, to play with. Yeah. Now, I didn't watch it and say, oh, wow, his his performance his acting performance was you know impeccable no i i was just i had that feeling he which was is what which others. is what he was right. trying to what, what he was trying to do was make me feel weird about him mm-hmm. kind of and i'm like i don't I, I can't wrap my head around this guy when i was watching so he did a good job i guess because he got me yeah he definitely i i think he really and this again this is an actor who with his background and everything else, obviously he had a lot more experience than a number of the other actors. The lead actress is Mia Farrow's sister, um, which yeah. is probably somewhat obvious. Um, she's not the more talented of the sisters, <laughs> although she's she's okay. She's, she's the fourth okay. Baldwin. <laughs> yeah, she's you know she's kind of a blank, but she's okay. Uh, Ian McCulloch is okay, does what he can, but Johnson's the one who really you know you you can tell he's really doing his best to sort of bring something to it and. Uh, I give him a lot of credit for that. I think it's a, a wonderful performance, uh, you know, again, within the confines of what is, you know, what they used to call a guest star part. That's when you had somebody mm-hmm. who was a, a semi-name, you know, uh, who is in for a movie on a couple of weeks playing a flashy part, but he's not in the whole movie. Um, you know, he, he really elevates it, I think. Um, and, and perhaps in the process kind of shows up how inadequate some of the other people are right. by comparison. But, Oops. you know. Yeah, well, he actually <laughs> was he was given more to play with too like set wise like i wrote down how uh realistic the the hospital mm-hmm. felt like it yeah. had that ebola outbreak kind of feel in the congo like it was just yeah you f- you felt like you were going to get something yeah last time i was at the <laughs> ebola hospital that's exactly what it looked like exactly well, i've <laughs> seen it in the news a couple yeah, no, no, year, no, years kidding. ago just but it's you. like when you see an outbreak movie that captures that you feel like you could get sick just watching this oh i totally yeah. feel like i've seen that yeah. hospital on frontline like yeah definitely yeah, yeah. yep yeah I, th- I think some of that was back to fulci's background because fulci actually started out to be a doctor um he had been studying to be me- to to be a doctor. He was in medical school, and the story he always told about how he ended up making movies was that he was he was a med student. He was going out with a girl that he liked very much, and she ditched him because he didn't have enough money. And he thought, well, fine, I'll show you. I'm going to make all kinds of money. And uh, you know, he he dropped out and went into film school. He got in, started working on movies, and he said that he was making a movie in the mid '50s at one point, and a, a fancy car pulled up, and out came that girl. So he went over towards her, you know, sort of opened up his arms to give her a hug or something, and she she just gave him some money and kept on walking. So he <laughs> said, "That's this is how wonderful movies are." But he said, "Yeah, it was all because of a woman that he did that." So. I think some of that scientific, and it's there's you can see that in some of the other movies that he did. There's a lot of kind of interest in things like autopsies and uh, lab work and things like that. That I think probably came from his background, from his medical studies, somewhat. I mean, yeah, it makes total sense. You go to med school, you vivisect three dogs and put them on. A, maybe that doesn't actually follow, but mm. makes for a hell of a visual. There you go. S- since we have Troy here, uh, the 
the feel of the classic Nosferatu was that purposely mm. done in, in the very beginning? Like the, I the think whole so. plague I arriving think so. on the boat. Yeah, with the okay. boat and everything, the the ship sort of you know the way it comes into the frame like that. Fulci was a very film savvy person. He was a very cultured man, um, and I'm sure that he was well aware of that. He did say in interviews that what he was trying to do, he wasn't interested in copying George Romero at all. He didn't want to do anything like what Romero was doing. Um, he was trying to recapture the flavor of old zombie right. films, you know, where you had voodoo and things like that. So things like I Walk with a Zombie and White Zombie, um, you know, that was that was the sort of thing that he was really trying to evoke. And um, yeah, definitely Nosferatu was a movie he was aware of. Yeah, I had that whole here comes the plague on the boat kind of feel. I was like, OK, it, it definitely wasn't a mystery what was going to happen. That's why the ending, I, I almost thought they they uh, they showed that happening too easily. Like you knew that outbreak was going to happen in America because of that that body that fell over the. They purposely, mm-hmm. I guess, maybe purposely did that. Mm-hmm. But it, the ending would have been more of a shock, like you said, the twist, if they were on that boat thinking <laughs> that there was hope, and then they find out. Like, mm-hmm. I guess they're hoping you forgot about that. They do have a moment of hope. Yeah, but you know that. that body fell over the, and he wasn't shot in the head, so he's obviously going to find his way somewhere, somewhere, yeah. whether mm-hmm. he's caught in a fishing. Net plus the I think one of the cops ended up in an autopsy room. Right. So he wakes yeah, up. So you already was, know was waking up. Yeah, you kind of get that sense. I mean, I guess part of it too is just how savvy you are with this type of movie. And um, at that time, you know, don't forget, yeah, Dawn of the Dead had come out and been very successful, but there really hadn't been a ton of this type of zombie movies made at that point. Um, there have been so many of them made since then that I think maybe more people might catch on to that now. Whereas at the time possibly maybe not so much because prior to Night of the Living Dead, zombies in movies had always been just sort of slaves, um, you know, on, on right. plantations, thinking like the Hammer movie, Plague of the Zombies, or White Zombie with Bela Lugosi. I mean, there had been Night of the Living Dead, and then there was uh, the first, and I think the best of the Italian kind of um, cash-in movies was Living Dead at Manchester Morgue uh, from around 74. We almost watched had... that. Oh, I should have made him watch that. That's, that's a great one. <laughs> But then Romero comes back and does Dawn of the Dead, and I think that's where the whole kind of zombie thing started to really, really take off. Because up until that point, I don't think it was as common. So maybe to a certain extent, it's um, it's de- definitely telegraphing it, but maybe it's more obvious now than it would have been at that time. But, you know, that depends how you look at it, I guess. Hmm. I did almost want to follow this movie with Burial Grounds, oh. but I'm not going to. But I've told them I'm sending them a certain clip. Much like Zombie Holocaust, I'm sure. they don't need... We're going to get some clips. They don't need the whole movie. <laughs> there really isn't a lot to those... Uh, unfortunately, this movie, I think, stands on its own. Good movie. If you hadn't seen Dawn of the Dead, you'd still love this movie. But a lot of the kind of rip-off, cash-ins to follow don't really add a lot in the plot department going no. through the end of this cycle. This is one of the weaker cycles... Uh, one thing we haven't talked about on this show at all is a movie called Cannibal Holocaust. Have you guys ever heard of that? Mm, I've seen some of that, yeah. It's most like it. maybe the most controversial movie. Yeah, disturbing. Maybe. Uh, that's why you have a you know zombie holocaust, right? They're trying to cash in both on Cannibal Holocaust and also mm-hmm. simultaneously zombie. Yeah, it's all sort of part of the cannibal craze, I guess, in a way, which had kicked off a few years earlier. Uh, Umberto Lenzi made a movie called Man from Deep River, which was 
kind of an Italian version of uh, A Man Called Horse, uh, the Richard Harris movie that had been a big hit. So that's usually the, the thing with this. There's, the cycle is kicked off usually by a particular movie. So uh, in this case, um, you know, Dawn of the Dead was the one that kind of got the ball rolling and then you had all the other zombie movies. Um, but yeah, there's usually some movie in particular that's, uh, you know, Dirty Harry comes out and it's a big hit, so all of a sudden there's all these Italian cop movies and things like that. But that's mm. that's typical of the world over, really. But yeah, um, the the zombie movie and the cannibal movie can kind of go together a little bit because of that whole element of, well, just eating people, I guess. Mm. Can I say that I was kind of surprised that, you know, after watching this movie, that this movie came out after Dawn of the Dead? Because I felt like Dawn of the Dead had, like, so much more it was it was less straightforward right it had it had more like dynamics like you know surviving you know what people do after when right. they're trying to survive these people were there not was, survivors <laughs> no, no yeah there was more in dawn of the dead there was like there was more to the story it was like a right. wider story than this and then you know and then i i kind of thought i'm like i don't know what's going on were they making this simultaneously and so they didn't but I thought that there was much less to this movie than there was in well, I th- Dawn. I think Romero was more about building, like building, not a universe, but building something. Kind of like what they're doing, what Kirkman did with the comic book, which is like, you know, the first couple pages are just about one guy. And then it, mm-hmm. you introduce people and you see how big the story gets as the character moves into the yeah, story. Right. So it's like... Yeah. It's the same thing with, with Romero. I think he he probably had in his head, I'm going I'm to do the Star Wars of zombies where you're just yeah. going to make it epic. Yeah, I thought this, this I thought was this more was intimate. This felt more like the coattails of Night of the Living Dead. It didn't make sense to me that Dawn came out and then this came out. Well, what happened? You know, Maybe I thought I thought Dawn went went further right. and even though, you know, Dawn's zombies didn't look nearly as good as these. Right. Like there was a lot of hokey stuff in Dawn um where this is it's a lot better done here, but like I don't know. I just thought, well, like, with the story and like the and the twists and the and the and the challenges that they face in Dawn, this was like much simpler compared. Yeah. Well, there's different. There's a different dynamic of work here, for one thing. Romero was a more character-oriented filmmaker, and he was also more interested in sort of social satire. Um, Dawn of the Dead is a very overtly political movie. Now, Fulci could make films that had political subtext to them, and some of them do. Uh, sometimes in surprising ways, you know, he was very often very sympathetic to kind of outsider characters and so forth who suffer at the hands of the so-called normal people because they don't fit in. Mm-hmm. Um, so that element is in a lot of his movies. It's not here. And the reason it's not here is because he didn't write this one. This was written by Dardano Sacchetti, uh, who was one of the uh, key Italian screenwriters for genre movies at that time. So Fulci, again, was a hired gun on this movie, whereas the subsequent movies that he did like this, uh, he was involved in from the get-go. But what he wanted to do in the later films was strip away the story. He didn't. He wanted to make movies that were like nightmares. So you get movies like yeah. City of the Living Dead mm. and The Beyond, where there's really very little in the way of story. And those are films that will probably irritate some people because they don't really have much in the way of structure. And that's not sloppiness. That's actually very deliberate. He wants it to be very irrational very dreamlike and very much like a a sort of a waking nightmare so Mm. this is structured a little bit differently because it's kind of a a mystery up to a point it's kind of an adventure film up to a point and then it turns into a horror movie so you could see where it would have worked for somebody like castellari as far as like the action stuff was concerned but 
I don't think he would have really worked well with the kind of atmosphere stuff in the way that Fulci did. So, um, right. but in terms of how the the uh, the timeline worked, what happened was Romero had uh, after Night of the Living Dead, uh, obviously been many people have been trying to get him to do a sequel for years. He didn't want to do one. Um, he was trying to break away from horror films, as a matter of fact, for a little while, and um, eventually. You know, he made several movies in a row that were not successful. He was in kind of a bad place. And a friend of his was responsible for the Monroeville Mall. He owned the Monroeville Mall, which back in the 70s, that was a unique idea. You know, it mm. seems funny watching Dawn of the Dead now, and they're like, what the hell is that? I mean, it's obviously a mall, right? Everybody knows that. But that wasn't a common thing back in the 70s. That was a new thing. Um, and, you know, he told the story about how he went in there and he looked around and he saw all these different kinds of, you know, shafts and different, you know, levels and things like that. And he thought, boy, you could live in here. And that kind of gave him the idea of making a sequel. Um, right around that time, Dario Argento, um, who was a big fan of, of Night of the Living Dead, thought, you know, I'm, my star's on the rise. I'm raking in the money now. Maybe I should start looking to produce movies in addition to directing. So he came up with the idea let's do a, a sequel to Dawn of the Dead. And he approached, or to Night of the Living Dead, I should say, he approached Romero. Romero was on board with the idea by that point, so they they make this movie. Um, again, it comes out in Italy as Zombie, <clears throat> in a very different edit from the version we're used to in the United States, which was supervised by Argento. It's cut differently, it's scored differently. And um, it's a huge hit. And so this movie is effectively thrown together very, very quickly because they want to get another movie like this into theaters as quickly as possible. So, you know, yeah, there's not a lot of depth to the story. Um, but I think what's interesting in the film isn't so much, it's not really the story that's interesting. It's the way the story is treated in terms of the visuals, in terms of the atmosphere, in terms of you know, sort of layering in things uh, that are, you know, mysterious and, and kind of ambiguous and very suspenseful, but also then just really going for the jugular, you know, as far as the gore and stuff is concerned. So, yeah. no, it's it's not a movie that has a great kind of epic um, kind of scope or idea to it, um, but it, it definitely, it delivers where it's supposed to. So I think, you know, they're very different films, and that's why I always, when people say Zombie is a ripoff of Dawn of the Dead, I'm like, it's not really mm, a ripoff. Not really. Not the, even close. No. There are some Italian films that are ripoffs. If you ever see a movie called Hell of the Living Dead, or Zombie, or um, uh, I can't remember what the alternate titles were, but Hell of the Living Dead was one of the titles. That movie's a ripoff, right down to the SWAT team, and, and they even repurposed the goblin music from that film. So mm. that's yeah, a very just, different kind of a thing. They steal the score, the score wholesale, which is hilarious. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, it's shocking it's the, the first time you watch it because you're just like, oh, that's that's a suing, <laughs> is what that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that's a ripoff. This was not, and that was the thing that always annoyed Fulci because yeah, poor guy just couldn't catch a break. It was always, you know, if he made a Jallo movie, he's ripping off Argento. If he's making a horror movie, he's ripping off Romero, and he really wasn't. Um, but he definitely was benefiting from the fact that they made movies that kind of set these trends. And he went out and made his own movies that really compared well on their own level, but. You know, Zombie's an interesting case because, you know, Fulci did write, uh, or at least co-write most of his films, but this was one that he just simply had no hand in whatsoever. I find that funny because I didn't get a single Romero feel from this movie. I don't either. Uh, Maybe back then it's possible, but... Shooting him in the head, I guess, is about the only thing, and that was something that 
isn't really established in Night of the Living Dead because they're still kind of figuring it out. Um, yeah. I, I guess that's kind of put into the unofficial rule book in Dawn of the Dead. That's about it. I mean, the, the cannibalism angle, too. Yeah, Romero yeah. Had, had created that for it. But that's that's really all. They're very, very different movies. Again, Fulci's is indeed a lot closer to one of those old-fashioned, uh, atmosphere-based voodoo horror stories. It's more like an EC Comics in a way, uh, yeah. although Romero's and, stuff is also very comic bookish. But Well, the, it, the intimacy of this movie had a, a... I brought him up earlier, but it does have that Texas Chainsaw feel mm-hmm. where, like, the camera is like basically on the end of the nose of some of the actors. Like it's, it's like, yeah. like that scene where the, the scene, mm. you know, I, I had that same feeling as the, the girl at the dinner table in Texas chainsaw mm. where she wakes up and they're all, Ooh, they're like all in her face and they're just doing mm-hmm. the close ups of her eyes and she's looking around and they sh- like, it's that same feel. I, I didn't have a Romero feel at all. No, so it's funny hey. that you're saying that. No, if you look at their movies, I mean that's the easy thing that a lot of people do because they, you know, they don't really want to dig too deeply. But if you look at the films and compare them, they're completely different. They have a very different flavor, and they're both wonderful in their own way. I love Dawn of the Dead, um, not as much as Night of the Living Dead or even Day of the Dead, which is actually, funnily enough, my favorite of the three. But um, Zombie is wonderful too. And again, Zombie, in terms of Fulci's own horror films, isn't really my favorite of his horror films, but. Um, it's a great intro to him, I think, on the level of just, you know, uh, being thrown into that universe where anything can happen. And again, I would have loved to have been in an audience in 1979, 1980, uh, seeing that scene with yes, an audience. The, squir- <laughs> squir- the squirming. Yes. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, that scene didn't, uh, didn't really hit me as hard. I think I might just be desensitized. You are it's desensitized. Possible. You need to stay off of, uh... Whatever horrible websites you're on, George, you've seen too much death. <laughs> it didn't affect me like it would have affected me back then. Like if I saw it when I was younger, I would have. It would have. I've seen enough now where it didn't affect me. But for a cool factor, effects factor, and film wise, yeah, I was, that's what I was, I was thinking. In. That's what I was thinking when I was watching it. Like I know, I know, Dan, that that scene was, you know, epic for you when you saw it because you were younger. But you know, when I saw it, all I was thinking was like. Is that spike really going to go into that eye? Oh, yes, there it, it is. <laughs> there it goes. There it and it like I didn't even think like I did kind of get like a little bit like, "Oh, is that going to happen really?" And then it started happening. I was like, "Oh, well, you're this waiting is for good, the cutaway." Man. You're waiting for the cutaway yeah, and, and it didn't happen. And I was like, "Whoa, man." And you weren't brought up on Faces of Death. <laughs> yeah, but like <laughs> I saw that on VHSs. <laughs> I don't know. I I don't know. I think I've I've watched a lot of I I don't know. A, a lot of Walking Dead, a lot of a lot of different stuff, and so nothing really like kind of surprises me but that, anymore. But it was that it was, was really one of the things that did ring like true to what you're used to, because that was something you would see on the show, right? Yeah, and and it, I I brought up how angry I was last week when I saw the zombies actually murdering people as opposed to just devouring through instinct. They were actually right. picking up tools and deciding, well, hey, was, I'm going to kill this guy two weeks ago, but yeah, or two weeks ago, and with this, they were pulling her head towards that would but you're never really sure if it's the accident of it pulling her head towards it to bite it i definitely felt that or it was purposely pulling her head towards the wood and that's open to interpretation i'm totally better with that yeah i i interpreted it as it was just an accidental of him trying to get that girl through the door so he could eat but it's effective (laughs) it's very effective yeah but um but yeah i was i thought it was cool and i thought it was like wow they actually showed that and 
But I didn't think, you know, when Dan talks about the scene, I didn't really even register that that was the scene. Right. But yeah, I think it makes that's sense typical. now. I think that's typical. It happens with a lot of things. I mean, if you watch The Exorcist now versus when it came out in 73, I mean, people were literally fainting <laughs> at that mm-hmm. movie, which may seem yeah. ridiculous now, but at that time, that was something. Or, um, you know, when people saw the alien coming through John Hurt's stomach in uh, in Alien in 79, same year as this, in fact. I mean, that was another thing that was just like, oh, my God. But, you know, so much has happened since then, and so many parodies have been done and everything else that, you know, depending on how you're coming to it, it either works for you or it doesn't. Still yeah, effective. it's it's cool. Like <laughs> one of the one of the reasons why we do this like podcast is just because, you know, what, you know, George watches it for the first time. Mm-hmm. You know, does it hold up? Because we've yeah. watched this movie for 10 years or, or 20 years or 50 years or whatever. Your frame of reference is a lot different. Yeah. Than ours, and so right? my frame of reference, you know, just, you know, in 2021, you know, me being 30 years old. Yeah. Just didn't hit me like. It hit audiences in the seventies. It's like when my, but it still know, was great. Jaws are like, meh. Yeah, and you want to punch them. <laughs> I try to, I try to respect the movie. You know, I try to respect it. I right. try to understand where it's coming from. But like, yeah, it didn't, didn't really hit me. And maybe that's a, you know, commentary on, well, some other things, lots of things. But I, yeah, I personally, I, I was taken out of that scene a little bit because mm-hmm. of. I was so bothered at how cheap that door was. <laughs> like it literally was made of balsa wood. Like yeah. I think it broke through with his pinky. Like it was it wasn't like a Jack Nicholson with the axe through the door. It was just like I think it the door crumbled in his hands as he was. Well, it she was, was like walking a, away. it was like funny, a paneling. Yeah, it was like paneling. Like, it was like, like, it's like a funny thing for as many yeah. many times as I've seen that film. That idea has never occurred to me. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, I was just watching. I'm like, man, that's a. This is I actually my note is this the, is this the thin walls moment? Yeah, it's the thin <laughs> walls. My 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 note was uh, trapped, intense scene, cheap door. Hey, <laughs> speaking of the Pasadena thin walls from Halloween. Yes. Uh, <laughs> That's an old joke, Troy. You weren't here for that. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. But if, he threw us a curveball one night when we we're talking about Halloween. Well, you're actually you're from Pennsylvania area, right? That's Troy. right. So you have insulation in your house because you have weather. But in Pasadena, yes. they don't have weather. And if you notice, next time you watch Halloween, any of those shots in the upstairs bedroom, those walls are impossibly thin compared to what you'd have to have <laughs> anywhere where there's actually weather. Well, that's that's the downside of um, you know. It's supposed to be set in the Midwest, but it was actually shot in California. So you know, there, there Super are little things that you can. But just again, five minutes away. But it just back doesn't. To, you know what? It's just one of those things that doesn't bother me. <laughs> back to the your door uh, problems, Travis and and Zombie. Yeah. I mean, Michael Myers has a pretty quick time getting through that closet door. I mean, they're I essentially the same material. So yeah, same door. But it takes him twenty minutes to get through the kitchen door. <laughs> <laughs> like it's it's funny it's it's uh i guess you do it whatever is convenient yeah. yes guys the, a zombie fights a shark in this movie yeah that was my first note <laughs> well actually no my first note was a nosferatu note but then i wrote shark versus zombie awesome dude yes <laughs> and we were talking about performance it's a shame he just didn't have some shark repellent yeah right oh some my bat, gosh bat shark repellent he's had 13 or, years or, to or the shark had Come zombie on. repellent never mind but yeah, 13 years to prepare. They did not have their shark repellent. Uh, geez. Maybe the spray only works out of the water. Uh, they ha- already had that figured out. I mean, 66 Batman. 
ha- already happened. <laughs> no, the shark needed zombie <laughs> repellent. That's I, what it I was. understand that, but why didn't that zombie have shark repellent? He spray. Didn't need it. That's he the spray doesn't work underwater, guys. It's only out of the water that it works. Okay. Gotcha. So gotcha. we needed that ladder scene. The performance of the underwater zombie, though, I think an unheralded, awesome, awesome zombie. We talked about no. Flyboy How and about Don. The performance of the shark. Yeah, the shark was kicked ass. How'd they get that shark to do that? I believe it was a heavily, a heavily sedated shark, <laughs> and uh, it, was, it was a union shark. <laughs> yeah, and if if memory serves correctly, um, it was uh, Ramon Bravo, I believe, was the uh, the guy who was responsible for the underwater material there, and uh, it's pretty impressive. I mean, you know, again, it's obvious they're thinking, okay, Jaws has been successful, Dawn of the Dead's been successful. Hmm, let's put them together, and. Mm. Uh, it is, to the best of my knowledge, I, I can't pretend to have watched every single zombie movie ever made, but it's the only zombie versus shark scene I can think of. Yes. And I wish the guy who played that zombie had become like the trainer zombie for the entire movie. Because <laughs> his movements and his commitment were a million times better than the, you know, the, the shuffle shuffle uh, zombies. Uh, the shuffle like, zombies. <laughs> I was flipping out. I'm like, you can walk past these guys. Like they're not going to kill you. It's just not going to get you. Especially the um, uh, the scene in the foyer. <laughs> the scene where they go to check on the doctor's wife. Yes. That in the foyer. Yes, in the foyer. Where I'm yes. screaming, grab a spear. There's spears. There's, spears There's three the spears. <laughs> grab an antler. Grab something. And then he finally grabs the antlers. <laughs> well, see, yeah, that's, the zombies that's... are shuffling. <laughs> That's the old, um, they, they, I remember a critic asked um, John Ford one time in um, about Stagecoach. They said, why didn't the Indians just shoot the horses on the Stagecoach? And he said, the movie mm-hmm. would have been over in five minutes. <laughs> Fine reason. <laughs> right. Yeah. But I think that popped up in my head because, like George said earlier, none of these people are survivors. No. Like, not one instinct kicks in. None. No. Yeah. And, t- and one of them is a boater. Like, he should have... <laughs> he should have at least had some kind of survival skills and he just well out of all of them I think he had the most he probably, had the most but it's funny he let her bite him and then now he's like shoot her yeah like, <laughs> <laughs> why didn't you just have that feeling just like a second earlier I can I can I understand and I've seen this this scene before where yeah, a loved times. one of yours is a zombie now and you can't bring yourself right. to, to put him down and so somebody else has to do it, or there's nobody else, so you have to do it. Right. And it's a very impactful scene. Um, not here. Not really much here. <laughs> he he just let her bite him. I, okay, I okay. that was where I was thinking exactly what you're thinking. Like that scene it has become trope. Yeah. And back then it wasn't trope, and it's a shame because that could have been a really impactful moment. Right. But it wasn't. You were just like you hated her. <laughs> Even though she had a great, she wore a great bathing suit. But yeah, you were like, yeah, you're yeah, just like she, Meh. the yeah, the worst actor. And it's like now she's a zombie. It's like I gotta deal with her again. No, it's fine. <laughs> um, and then she kills my favorite character. What right. the? <laughs> <laughs> she was like the uh, Annie from Hall- Halloween. <laughs> Guys, let's be nice to Annie. She might be listening. <sighs> hey, Al Cliver, the guy that plays Dog Beardy Boater guy. Again. Oh, jeez. Al Cliver, the guy that plays the boater guy. Uh, yes. yeah. I don't want to hear a, a single negative thing about his performance because he's my favorite in the movie. No, he was good. He's awesome. He was good. Uh, he was good. He, yeah, he went on to do a bunch of um, a bunch of Fulci movies. He was another guy I got to interview for the book. Um, and uh, 
Oh boy, I mean, he was in The Beyond, he's in The Black Cats, he's in Demonia, he's in uh, several more Fulci movies. He he actually became pretty good friends with Fulci, although they, they had kind of a rocky start, because Fulci did definitely have a temper. Um, he was notorious for being not, not the easiest guy in the world to deal with. It just depended on a lot of different factors and uh cliver at that stage wasn't a terribly experienced actor so there were there were a couple things that went wrong thanks to him that fulci kind of turned his wrath on him but they mm. they ended up becoming friendly and uh you know even into later years when fulci was not in such good health they uh they remained friendly when cliver's in one of my favorite like unheralded never talked about on the forums kind of italian movie uh, an early Ruggiero Diodato film called Waves of Lust. Oh, Waves of Lust, yeah. Oh, my goodness. With John Steiner, who these guys don't mm-hmm. know yet because they haven't seen Tenebrae, but they will. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that that movie does things on levels you don't see in, in the Italian genre cinema too often. And Do they have a zombie fighting a shark? No, it's got like because I've seen that. It's, <laughs> it's got some. It's got some really good. It's just got levels. It's got character development in a way you don't expect. It's got nice. a real small cast, so they just they have a lot of room to move. No, oh, I like that. Oh, it's so good. Uh, but really hard to find and not really like nobody ever talks about it, but they should. But it doesn't have any zombies fighting sharks, so mm. nobody talks about it. <laughs> no, no cannibalism. Yes, no. not enough people talk about that because that was a surprise to me. What? The zombie shark fight. Like, I've been watching horror movies for a long time, not, not yeah, foreign films. Yeah, how is that not a famous That's scene? never been talked about. You'll hear like, it referenced no now and then. It, there's probably a, a reference to it in Shaun of the Dead somewhere just kind of on the side that you didn't notice. I'll but, have to check that out. Oh, yeah. uh, Fulci Fish. There is a, yeah, if you look in the oh, the phone book, there's okay. a Fulci Fish listing in, at one point in that movie. <laughs> so great. it's in there. Uh, but it's I can't one, read the, rewatch that movie. The problem is like, 20 minutes later, some chick gets her eye gouged out in graphic detail, so everybody kind of moves past. Right. Oh, my gosh. Well, the other thing to be said about the uh, the big scene, too, is that um, Italian movies, uh, I don't know if it's still the case. It was the case certainly then. It was the case certainly into the 80s and 90s. Even short movies, they always had intermissions, um, which is kind of a funny thing to us because, you know, unless it's like a three-and-a-half-hour epic like Ben-Hur or something like that. Movies don't have intermissions over here, but the mm. movies in Italy typically did. And um, the intermission break for Zombie is actually right after that particular sequence. So that wow. gave them something good to talk about when they went outside to grab a cigarette or have an ice cream or whatever. So good good timing. Yeah, great time to have an ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh. I don't know why I feel compelled to have an olive on that ice cream, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Olives are good for you. Well, Troy, I think we've taken over uh, the amount of time we agreed to, so we are going to let you get out of here, but we really have to thank you for coming by again. It's always a pleasure. Well, thank you again. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be on. I hope I'm not too boring. <laughs> no, no. I've learned a lot. Nah, you're the man, dude. <laughs> well, thank you're you. I appreciate it. Yeah, we can't thank you enough, Troy. Every time you're on the show, uh, two out of two times you're on the show, you've made both of these guys way more open-minded about the weird shit I just made them watch. So <laughs> I can't thank you enough. Well, anytime. Again, if uh, another one comes up, you want me back for it, just let me know. Hey, we will invite you back. You have a standing open invitation. Anytime you've got free time. Uh, I'm sure you've seen the movie we're talking about because... The whole point is we're watching movies George ought to have seen. 
And <laughs> this one's a bit more obscure, but I, I think he could agree that he ought to have seen this. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we basically have decided we will give Troy the honorary doctorate, right? So, I mean, he can come and teach whenever he wants. Yeah, and oh, we won't yeah. we won't take it back until you're on the news. But we are uh, going to take well, it back if you end up on the news. Well, they're going to catch up with me eventually, so it's just a matter of time. <laughs> oh, man. Don't pull a and I think we'll be good. <laughs> no, that, that I won't do, but, uh, you know, you never know about other things. Ah, <laughs> oh, jeez. All right, Troy. Well, hey, man, thanks so much. Anyway, dun, 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 you need to start watching dun, some, dun, 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 some that's TWD. Your, I'm telling you, that's your SWAT. That's your SWAT corner music. SWAT you, corner. Need to, you need to lift the Goblin song <laughs> from Dawn, and that's your SWAT music. I don't know that that's a Goblin tune. That might be from the other guys. Oh, okay. Because yeah, the Goblin tune is the one that's got all the cool percussion. You know, the score of this movie's good. Oh man, that yeah, the wah 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 wah. I like the first part of it more. Yeah, that part. But then the the more upbeat kind of Casio Casio song is is sounds like an NES song. Actually, yeah, it's good. I like it a lot. They actually do this one as a tour as well, like the Argento stuff. So you can go see Fabio Fritzi play the score live in front of the movie. Hmm. And it'd be a chance to see it with an audience, which might be fun. That's cool. Yeah, but they all know about the scene. Most, oh, most of them have seen it. It's not a surprise, unless you watch it with my wife, who's not expecting yeah, that to happen. It's only the scene <laughs> if you like introduce it to like someone now. Yeah. You know. Well, I have to say, guys, after my buddy and I saw the scene for the first time and we both almost died from excitement about how awesomely gross it was. <laughs> we made it a point to show it to all our friends. You know, anybody that came mm. over, Hey, just sit down for a minute. I gotta, I gotta show you this movie. It, it's unlike anything you've ever seen. Shout out to Mara and Andressa because the two of them, uh, nearly died. Like physically, <laughs> I think, I'm pretty sure Mara <laughs> was going to vomit on my couch. Uh, nice. So shout out to her. Hope she's not vomiting right now thinking about it but i mean it'd be kind of cool if she was because it made an impact heck of a scene guys and it didn't stop there like when they get to the house i wrote down the last supper like it was like that whole scene with the four or five of them are just sitting there munching oh like, man damn like, like you said gratuitous it's it's mm-hmm. the whole movie's gratuitous well and yep. the throat but it's necessary the actress that nobody liked uh yeah. personality wise uh, I thought she was fine, but well, I have very low standards. It turns out for actors, uh, <laughs> I, I've learned that and from I watching have... movies with you guys. But yeah, when she gets her throat bit out, my buddy Brian, uh, you remember Aztec level beating Brian from Goldeneye? Uh, I talked about him before. Mm. He, as an adult man, turned green, <laughs> and he's like a Friday the Thirteenth fan. Like he's seen, right. he's seen mm. some shit. But that throat rip, he just. He did not enjoy his experience watching that lady bleed out of her neck. Mm. It's pretty gross. I was a little, I was, I was ex- when I saw the the uh, tour zombie at the beginning. I was like, uh, tour will be a reference to Plan None from Outer Space, which you wouldn't know. But the the, the overweight bald uh, zombie at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. I was excited because he was way better looking than anything that was in Dawn. Yeah. But then I thought to myself, okay, it's just basically a guy covered in oatmeal. 
and and I was like, oh, I hope they're not all like that. But then they kind of they all had their own thing going on. Yeah, I, I do. I I wanted to ask Troy, but I forgot. The zombies that kill the woman that we none of us liked except for Dan. Um, the conquistador zombies. Yeah. It was never explained. Like, I know he was burying bodies. The doctor was burying bodies in the back. Mm-hmm. These zombies were coming out of the sand mm-hmm. from another area. Where did they come from? Are they... They're not supposed to be conquistador bodies, right? Oh, they are. They are conquistador bodies. Yeah, they would... They yeah. wouldn't still have maggots and shit on them. No, they wouldn't. Dude, they would be, it's a they movie would where a zombie evil. fights a shark. Like, don't read too far. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're asking a lot here. I, You know what I thought? I thought, like, how are they getting a New York radio station on the boat in the Bahamas where, or, or wherever the, in the world they are? Probably were listening to Stern. I don't know. But, like, you know, yeah, in the 70s. I'm like, <laughs> and, but I'm like, you know, it doesn't matter that they're getting the New York radio station in whatever island bay that they're in. It's a movie, so I just could they have like let been traveling for a little bit before that? Yeah, I think the idea yeah, is that they basically fix the they boat and get out. Do they ever actually fix the drive shaft, though? I don't know. I don't know. I kind of got maybe I got to watch it again, but I kind of just got the impression that they were just in the boat for not a long time at all, and they flipped on <coughs> the radio. Right, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I mean, it, I I gave it a pass. But I did, so did I, I. I did sit there and go, okay, if these are supposed to be, what, 300-year-old zombies, they would not have any flesh on them whatsoever. Yeah, they would be bones, they would and be, most of the bones would be, be dust. mostly dust. Yeah, yeah so I, I, I kind of was hoping maybe there was something else. That yeah, it's just... Yeah. Because they never established if they're voodoo or not. Is there a hex on the island? Are these recently dead people? I I wasn't sure. Maybe I mean they were still cool looking. You know, don't uh, disintegrate as fast. They're like saints. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're like incorrupt. Incorrupt doors. I don't know. Interesting. Now, did you catch the thing where the hospital is inside an old church? Church. Yes. And yes. so, as they have their final Alamo moment, their Night of the Living Dead Alamo, it's within a, a church. They like seek shelter within a church. Sanctuary. Yeah, man. It's like My a very Italian. Note concept Remember like the Alamo. they're not even gonna you know there's no i don't think that anybody set out and said oh, i'm gonna add a subtext to this movie and it's gonna be that italians always run into the church but i think just their <laughs> you know default knee-jerk reaction is hey uh where do you go we're, we're gonna be in the church hospital that's kind of fun you know i think uh i think the walking dead might homage this a little bit with gabriel's yeah. uh place that's possible well i mean it looks like exactly the same I thought it was it's an island, so there's probably was at some point a uh what do you call those things? Where somebody goes to convert. A missionary. There okay. was a missionary yeah, yeah, yeah. there at some point. So and the church looked to be at least two hundred years old. So I wasn't sh- I, I wasn't sure. Oh, I was just thinking of like, you know, like usually I mean not that I know anything about islands but like i'm thinking this is kind of like a third world yeah. kind of place and like when they have a building they use it for church and they use it for school and they use it for hospital what? if necessary and yeah they use it for i definitely got the sanctuary feel like i know they picked a church on purpose yeah which is the same on the show they pick a church on purpose yes so yeah 
That was cool. The one thing I did notice, I don't know if you noticed it, Dan. I'm sure you did. There was a lot of Halloween in this movie. Go on. I wrote shower scene music jump scare was perfect. She's taking a shower and then you get that the hand up on the glass. Oh mm. yeah, very, it does have a John Carpenter. Very Halloweenish. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And 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 then I wrote uh POV eerie music Halloween meets Night of the Living Dead. Like it was just it was almost like once they started coming out of the ground or they were establishing that there were more than just one or two with the doctor, there were actually some walking on the island and they were watching. They were lurking in the trees. Mm-hmm. It had a total Michael Myers feel. Like it was I was almost waiting for like a <laughs> that moment where the kid comes out of the school and walks right into Myers. Like I was just waiting for it. It totally had a Michael Myers feel. Well, and don't forget the uh, the same kind of pliable, breakable door as the closet. In Halloween. So, yeah, yes. I think it definitely, yeah, Halloween is in the back of the mind of the people making this movie. But after making that much money, how could it not be? Yeah, right. Hmm. Hmm. It's a heck of a movie, guys. Really kind of gross. I like it. And, guys, I do have to s- we didn't talk enough. about. We talked about the scene. The scene is great, guys. When you watch, Listeners, when you watch the scene, you're going to love it. But the thing that makes me sad about the scene is it occurs right after some of the best mirror work in an right. Italian movie. Like his, I mean, it's, it's kind of Euro trash, like, you know, skis, because it's just a naked lady. But the way that he uses the camera and like multiple mirrors in a room, it's really like, it's fancy. Like this guy's yeah. doing the work of a cameraman and as a director, but he follows it with a scene that, you know, makes you forget everything else you saw in the movie. Right, mm. and then he makes you forget the scene by giving you the slowest zombies in the movie. <laughs> oh, but see that slow zombies aren't bad, man. You got to have a slow zombie because <sighs> you have to be able to avoid them in an open space, but they have to be dangerous in an enclosed space. Yeah, and then you get the best Alamona we've seen yet, right? I mean, that there's yes, fire. I wrote that. It was my last note. Remember, uh, remember the Alamo. Now the zombies coming into the church again that's where slow zombies annoyed me because it was like i never felt even though they were picking them off i never felt danger from the horde i felt danger from the people dying yeah so part of their group so you can have all right so this is how zombies are dangerous they're either fast right okay or they're slow and there's a ton of them right or they're fast, and there's a ton of them. Well, then you're that's fucked. coming. But <laughs> yeah, but that's that's basically the mo, right? They right. they're they're either fast zombies or they're slow zombies, and there's a ton of them. Mm-hmm. That's how this works. Yeah, but like I said, that horde would have been scary. The horde, I felt the danger of them walking in, but they were so slow, and they were almost like they were sh- like not even shuffling. They were like. They were walking like their legs were tied together, and it took forever yeah. for them to even get to the group. It's almost like if you just like you know kind of ran through them with some purpose, you would just just go past them. Yeah, is how but it felt. I did feel the danger because there were people that were with them that were dead, so I knew that right. the, the, they were turning and there was danger. And now they're surrounded. And now they're surrounded. Yeah. But I I I just wasn't feeling 
the danger from the zombies. Not like I felt when I watched Dawn, where I didn't feel any danger whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But with this, I was just kind of disappointed that the horde wasn't as dangerous as one zombie in the back of the room. They're still, they're still figuring it out. Still figuring it out. And it all, it all comes together in the greatest television show ever made. Yes. The Walking Dead. Now, Dan, when did Salem's Lot come out? 79. Same year. 79? Okay. Because there was a zombie that looked just like Barlow. And I was just like, oh, I wonder if they're making reference to that vampire. He was a very, very thin, pointy-nosed, pointy-eared, bald I'm thinking that's shared heritage with uh, Nosferatu. No Serata, okay. Who's got Which the same Which is face. what Bar- Barlow basically is the same design. So, But the old 20s No Serata, yeah. which is a wonderful film if you can stand silent film. Yeah, George, I have that if you can watch that. You can probably get it on. It's I don't think it has any rights. You could probably get it online. It's only like not even, what, 40 minutes? Some, yeah, 62. Z- some real short amount. Yeah, it's, it's good. a silent film. So but good. It's, it's, it's the retelling of Bram Stoker's Dracula completely stealing every bit of Bram Stoker's Dracula, but a lot cooler. I've never watched a silent movie ever. Ooh. So that'd be cool. That might be where to start. That or Dr. Caligari. Hmm. The only reason I even watched it was the Queen David Bowie under pressure video when I was a kid. Mm. I think you mean the Ice Ice Baby video? (laughs) (laughs) That was before that. When you were a teenager? Like 1983-ish, I guess, was when that video came out. And in the video, they show a scene from, they show his shadow going up the steps, and it's like, just creepy. I was like, what is that? So I looked it up, and then I wound up watching it. So you should see it. But before you watch that, George, I think we probably ought to tell you what you're watching on the next episode. Yes, please. (sighs) Dun, 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 dun. So, George, I don't know if you were aware, but... First, there was Night of the Living Dead, and then there was Mm -hmm. Dawn of the Dead. Mm -hmm. And so now, the darkest day of horror the world has ever known, (gasps) George Romero's Day of the Dead. Day of the Dead. All right. And we're not going to tell you anything about it, but we can't wait to watch it with you. We have to complete the trilogy. I can't wait to watch it. Thank you for joining us on the Remedial Film Class Podcast. As always, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at at Remedial Film Pod. You can find us at Facebook.com slash Remedial Film Pod. And now you can find old episodes on YouTube. So wherever you look, we're there remedially. We'll see you back here very soon for Day of the Dead. Uh, I'm looking at this guy on this TV screen, and I didn't mention it because I didn't want to offend Troy with my stupidness. But the assistant to the autopsy, the black guy, yeah, totally overprepared for this movie. <laughs> he was, he was, he was on putting in level. work, man. Yeah, he was doing shit that nobody else in the movie's like. Yeah, we're not doing. I that. have a feeling what happens <laughs> is they go to New York illegally. They hit up you know, the New York acting scene and they get a couple of guys and then we thought they were really making a movie. The <laughs> cops uh, might, we should have talked about this, but the cops, uh, the reason the uniforms are so good is because they just used off duty cops. They had them come right. in in uniform just to be in a movie. So the cops aren't wow. really very good actors.
But then Mm-mm. you get the more the autopsy guy who is like a legit actor in a desert of bad actors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they definitely stick out. So guys, you got to check out this scene from Zombie Holocaust. We were talking about it earlier. Go ahead and just hit that link. It's on YouTube. Skip to about yeah. 58, 20, 58, 25, somewhere in there. You're going to see a real goofy looking clay face zombie. I went to 5712. Is that okay? If you want to spend a minute watching it, you go for it, bro. <laughs> no. 58. Yeah, save yourself a minute of life. Travis, do you know that if you if you double tap Ooh. on like the right side of the screen, it'll just fast forward 10 seconds? No. And you can just do that a bunch of times? But I just watched that. That was pretty awesome. Yeah. That's the only Where part of going? the movie that's worth watching. 58, 58 something? 5820. Is it official that he's type- typecasted? I think he only did the two. Mm, okay. They just did them back to back. There's a girl in the garden. <laughs> a girl in the garden. She looks so drunk. So, I mean, that's some pretty they, good motorboat yeah. to the face. You don't yeah. see that in a lot of movies. Now, the, the chick in the garden, is that from Shaun of the Dead or what? I mean, maybe. Hold on. Hold on. I wonder if they homage that. There's a girl in the garden. There's a girl in the garden. She's so pissed. 